The beautiful game is centre stage as the FIFA Football World Cup swings into action. There's been upsets already and so much more to come. The controversy over human rights abuses isn't going away. Is Qatar trying to sports wash its reputation? And is New Zealand complicit in sports washing? The Black Caps start their one-day series against India this week. Can they step it up? And we'll hear about the Lydia Ko effect as she surges to the world number two spot. Kia ora Aotearoa, I'm Zoe George and this is The Podium. Sports news but not as you know it from Stuff. Well, let's start with the FIFA Football World Cup in Qatar. Stuff sports journalist Philip Rollo joins us. Kia ora, Phil. Good. Oh my goodness. Let's start with the upsets from overnight. What's been going on? Yeah, um, there's been another huge result. So um, yesterday we had Saudi Arabia beating Argentina and that was one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. And there's been another one today with um, Japan scoring two late goals to to beat Germany 2-1. Wow, and there was um, a protest by Germany as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. So before every game, the team's always like um, go in a bit of a huddle and, and pose for a team photo. And um, the German players all put their hands over their mouths um, their coach, Hansi Flick, said after the game it was in reference to um, feeling muzzled by FIFA. And um, I guess that's in direct response to the fact that um, FIFA were going to issue some punishments if, if teams wore one love armbands during the tournament. So, um, yeah, it was quite an interesting sort of gesture from um, from Germany prior to their game. But, um, yeah, I guess on the field... Um, they were the ones probably silenced by Japan, I think. <laughs> they certainly were. I did see uh, that some of the German players were also wearing shoes or boots with rainbows on them. Yeah, and so Germany, there was a, I can't remember if it was a World Cup qualifier, it was definitely a game in the lead up to the World Cup, um, came out into a game and it had um, human rights sort of written all over the shirts as they as they lined up. So, um, yeah, they're definitely a team that's, um, you know, not prepared Oh, that, that is prepared, sorry, to, to kind of stand up to, to FIFA. And um, there's been a sort of no suggestion or any sort of word as to whether there's going to be any repercussions for um for their little gesture this morning. But, um, yeah, I guess it's going to be one to, to watch because, um, yeah, there's many European teams that, that wanted to wear One Love armbands. And, um, yeah, due to FIFA's sort of crackdown saying that players will get yellow cards and there might be fines as well. Um, you know, they've decided not to do it. What is One Love, just for those who may not know? Um, it's basically just like pro-diversity and, and inclusion. I mean, it, it seems insane to me that it's something that FIFA would be cracking down on. But um, as we've seen at this tournament, you know, uh, a couple of days ago there was a US journalist who was detained briefly for wearing a rainbow um you know, symbol on his T-shirt. Um, I saw even in the last couple of days there was um, a Brazilian journalist who had a, a flag that sort of represented where he's from that has a rainbow on it. And it, was, it wasn't even sort of a, a direct connection and um, they were refusing him entry. So, um, yes, it's been a very, very interesting start to the World Cup with um, yeah, the way that Qatar is sort of cracking down on on rainbow flags. Well, we'll talk more about that later in the show, but let's get back to the action. There's a bit of a New Zealand connection going on, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So um, obviously the All Whites failed to qualify for, for the World Cup, but um, in the, the Canada-Belgium um, game, so um, this was Canada's first World Cup appearance in 36 years, and, and the, the man who's their head coach, John Herdman, he used to be the Football Ferns coach, actually took them to the 2007 and 2011 World Cups. Um, his son, Jay, um, recently 
switched um, nationality to, to play for New Zealand. Um, he was born um, in Invercargill, I think, actually, when John Herdman was sort of working down there with Football South. Um, and I know Jay's over in Qatar sort of following his dad's um, coaching journey, which, um, yeah, I'm sure as a, a young footballer must be pretty awesome to see. Um, they suffered a, a 1-0 defeat to, to Belgium, who are, I guess, one of the sort of, yeah, bigger teams from from Europe. Um, they've sort of had like a golden generation in the last um, you know, eight years or so, but they seem to sort of be on on their way out. But um, Canada put up a really good fight against them. They had twenty one shots to to nine. Had a penalty saved um, early on, but um, yeah, just couldn't find a way back into the game once once Belgium scored. But um, yeah, I guess there was another New Zealand connection in a way too with um, the team that beat the All Whites to qualify for the World Cup um, was Costa Rica, and they suffered a. 7-0 defeat to Spain in, the, in their first oh. game today. So I'm not sure whether it's a good thing that New Zealand aren't there, that, you know, would have they suffered a similar defeat or would, it, would have they fared better? I guess we'll, we'll never know. But, um, yeah, pretty rough start to the tournament for, for Costa Rica. Oh, so what are the big few games we should be keeping an eye out for over the next couple of days? Yeah, well, there's actually two pretty big ones on tomorrow. Um, Brazil plays Serbia and, you know, Brazil, they're probably the team that I reckon will go all the way in this tournament. Um, They're the world number one at the moment. You know, they have such an an incredible array of attacking options. Neymar's sort of the the big name there. Um, Yeah, and so that that will be a good game too because, you know, Serbia are pretty pretty decent European team. So it's not going to be an easy one for them. And, and then the other game I think to watch will be Portugal versus Ghana. And um, yeah, I guess all attention and all eyes will be on Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, he's just left, it'll just be a, a day or two after he left Manchester United. He's basically been sort of forced out after um, some pretty explosive comments he made in an interview with Piers Morgan. So, um, you know, whether that's going to be a distraction for, for Portugal is, is sort of the big question. There are a couple of teammates um, in his Portugal team that also play for, for Manchester United. So, um, yeah, they'll definitely be the one to watch. Well, thanks so much, Phil. Lots of action going on at the FIFA Football World Cup in Qatar at the moment. We'll talk to you again next week. Cool. Thank you. Human rights groups have accused Qatar of serious human rights and migrant labour abuses in preparation for hosting the FIFA Football World Cup. A number of foreign workers are reported to have died building infrastructure, although there is no definitive toll, with figures varying widely from the thousands to fewer than 100. FIFA granted Qatar the tournament in 2010, with no set conditions about protections for migrant workers who would be needed to construct the stadiums, hotels and transport infrastructure, many of whom came from India, Bangladesh and Nepal. The controversy has led to accusations of sports washing. But what does that really mean? To tell us more, Professor Steve Jackson from Otago University's School of Physical Education. Sports washing and its uh, simplest form, I guess, It's uh, where uh, a nation or it could be a corporation or even an individual uses sport to improve uh, their image or perhaps mask uh, or repair a tarnished image. And they do that by uh, either hosting major sporting events or owning sport teams or perhaps sponsoring a team. We're talking a lot about sports washing at the moment, particularly around the FIFA Football World Cup in Qatar. is there sports washing happening there right now? Uh, absolutely. There's, I mean, the the whole event from start to finish has been 
one example of sports washing, and there are certainly many, um, you could pretty much take any uh, Olympic Games or FIFA World Cup uh, over the last uh, few decades, and there would be elements of sports washing there, but particularly in cases of nations that uh, have a, a human rights violations uh, track record. Mm, at the moment, we're talking about migrant workers and also rights in regards to women, LGBTQI uh, in, in Qatar. But is that Western nations possibly being discriminatory towards Qatar and, and the Football World Cup? Well, I think uh, sometimes there's a, a tendency in the West to point fingers at things that they themselves are engaged in. Uh, and I guess it comes down to a matter of degree. So, as I said, almost any major uh, sporting team in some way, shape or form is probably complicit uh, in terms of sports washing. And, and that includes uh, New Zealand teams like the All Blacks. They've had sponsors like AIG uh, that were involved in uh, you know corruption in terms of people's pension funds in America. You have Adidas that there have been claims about labor exploitation. You have companies, uh, sponsors like Ineos now that are pretty much engaging in sports washing slash greenwashing, uh, given their uh, record in terms of uh, the petroleum industry. Yes, I was going to ask about greenwashing as well. Uh, that's something that we haven't really talked a lot about, but it is something that's also happening in sport um, is when companies engage with sports and, you know, to try and cover up possible environmental implications. <laughs> Best way to describe it? Yeah, I mean, sports washing often overlaps with uh, things like green washing, as well as uh, rainbow or pink washing, and and all a whole range of forms of diversity washing. Um, and again, we can see that locally, and we can see it globally. And it's in part, uh, if we step back, we go. The reason is likely that sport, um, you know, has this great sport myth effect. That is, there's this halo effect around it that it's inherently positive, even though we know some of the critiques of it, it still has a very positive image in terms of being associated with youth, national identity, uh, health, and, and a range of other positive attributes. I would absolutely hi highly recommend for any listeners who haven't watched it yet, the FIFA Uncovered documentary series, four-part documentary series on Netflix. I mean, Steve, the, the, the looking at FIFA and who they've countries that they've partnered with over the years. You know, we're in Qatar at the moment. We, they gave the World Cup to Russia uh, in 2018. It was Argentina back in the 70s. It was Italy under Mussolini in, in the 30s. Like there's this pattern of behaviour going on right now. Uh, I guess, yeah, you can call it a pattern. You can call it a, a tradition. Uh, you can call it uh, many things. But uh, again, as you referenced the, uh, that documentary, um, I, I think that provides a pretty good insight as to just how um, how complicit this whole organization has been. And, and in fact, if you listen to the uh, FBI and others describe it, 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 it is in effect they classify it as organized crime. Uh, and uh, although many would not view it that way and for the average you know football fan, that's not the kind of thing they want to know. I think it's increasingly important that they understand uh, what's going on because of the effects that it has on on everyday people. New Zealand and Australia, we're hosting the Women's FIFA Football World Cup next year. Um, is this an issue as well? I, I think it will uh, probably, in terms of world image, I'm not sure you would be saying that uh, New Zealand and Australia are uh, engaging in sports washing in terms of some image they're trying to hide, but FIFA is engaging in sports washing by picking countries wherever they go. 
Um, they are engaging in sports washing because they're hiding. They're using the beautiful landscapes of these countries. They're using the uh, the wonderful atmosphere. And beyond all that, they're using the resources, uh, the stadia and the security and the money that's paid uh, by media, corporate sponsors and nations as hosts uh, as well. So we shouldn't forget um, that angle on things. Eden Park will host the opening one-day international between the Black Caps and India tomorrow. Fans will be hoping for New Zealand to turn out with a game plan. Stuff's Andrew Vorman will be there. Kia ora, Andrew. Hi, Zoe. A fielding mishap in the final ball in wet conditions didn't do the Black Caps any favours in the T20 series. So what does the one-day series hold for us? Hopefully better results. It's been a couple of months since the Black Caps last played in ODI and that was that pretty painful series in Australia where they were in good positions in the first two matches, then somehow managed to lose to their closest rivals. Oh, okay. One day games, uh, we've come off T20 World Cup, we've come off a rather wet T20 series against India. Any new faces in the ODI team? Uh, The two players to watch would be Finn Allen, who's only played eight matches and has had a pretty rough time of it in the T20s of late. He really needs to perform in this ODI series. And the other one is Glenn Phillips, who has been performing strongly in T20s, but has only played six ODIs. But the next World Cup is now exactly a year away, and he'll be looking to cement his spot in the team for that tournament. Oh, World Cups galore. One face that will be missing from the Black Caps this series is Martin Guptill. Where is he? Uh, he's decided that he doesn't want to be part of New Zealand cricket anymore. He's asked to be released from his contract, but in the first case, of course, he was dropped from the T20 team and the ODI team. So he's effectively responded to that and you know, decided that he wants to pursue opportunities in some of the T20 leagues around the world. Well, that follows in the footsteps of Bolt and Colin de Gromholm as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's becoming quite a trend. But I guess you know, when you look at those three situations, they all are unique. Trent Bolt, you know, he wanted to have a bit more flexibility, spend a bit more time with his family. He's very much still in the selection frame. Um, Colin de Gromholm was kind of mixed. He was in some teams, but not in some other teams, depending on the format. Martin Gupta was very much dropped and pretty much told that, you know, the Black Caps were moving on from him. So he's decided now that he would like to have that flexibility. Mm. All right. So back to the ODI series against India. When and where are the matches? Where can we catch them? Friday in Auckland, Sunday in Hamilton and next Wednesday in Christchurch. Amazing. And then we've got some more series coming up, including the White Ferns against Bangladesh, don't we? Yes, the White Ferns um, are in action against Bangladesh in December, playing T20s and ODIs. And then they have their T20 World Cup in South Africa in February. Oh, I love cricket season. Well, enjoy the game. Andrew Vorman, thanks so much for joining us on the podium. Fingers crossed we get some sun. Absolutely. It's been a stonking week for New Zealand's Lydia Ko. The 25-year-old has surged up the rankings to take the number two spot, won a bevy of trophies and claimed a record $2 million US prize, that's $3.25 million New Zealand dollars, after winning the LPGA Tour's season-ending CME Group Tour Championship on Monday. Liz McKinnon is Golf New Zealand's talent and coach development officer and a player herself. Kia Liz, welcome to the podium. Thank you. How good is Lydia Ko right now? $2 million prize money, back in the number two world spot. Oh, so good. Yeah, really exciting to, to see. She's, it's crazy to think she's just finished her ninth season on the LPGA. And um, it's so cool to, to see the journey that she's been on. And she's had an incredible year and it's been fun to see and a fun way to finish it. 
Is there a Lydia Co effect when it comes to golf membership and participation every time she does well at Spikes with women and girls? Just having people talking about it, absolutely. In terms of being able to see the, the minutia of those spikes, not so certain, but absolutely in terms of the growth and we're going, we're having uh, an amazing growth um, and that includes girls and women. So it definitely has an impact, which is awesome. Yeah, it's the whole visibility thing as well, isn't it? If you can't see it, you can't be it. And Lydia Ko is seeing it and being it right now uh, for, for New Zealanders and for women in golf. She's been on tour since, um, or her rookie year was 2014. And in that time, especially since 2019, with a lot of our approach to young people, with our futures approach, um, we've seen three times the amount of girls that are members. So we were around 500 girls at, at our low, and now we're up over 1,500 girls uh, that are members at a, a golf club, which is a total of um, just over 10,000 junior members, which is awesome. And, um, you know, part of that is providing the opportunities for them to learn and play uh, their way. Um, and that's what we're sort of doing to to meet the, those needs. So it's really cool. That is so amazing. And have you spotted a future Lydia Co in there somewhere? Oh, there's lots of amazing um, young players out there and, and a lot that um, aspire to be like her. And I think what's really cool is um, she shows one way of, of doing it and, um, you know, to, you know, really aspirational, you know, the dream, I'm sure, for many young players to play on the LPGA or the PGA if you're a, um, a boy. Her personality, the way she approaches it, it's not just her success. I think a lot of it is who she is and the person that she is really connects and resonates with New Zealanders and makes us proud to be Kiwis. Interesting that you talk about who she is because that's one of the things that really stood out for me with Lydia Ko this year was that back in May when she came third uh, in one of those LPGA competitions, Jerry Foltz, who's a commentator, asked her you know, why she got the physio out and she's like, oh well, it's that time of the month and, and she said, oh ladies, you get me right. And then it started this massive conversation about menstruation and sports and I was like, yes, Go, Lydia. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I even um, DM'd her exactly that going, thank you so much for, for raising it, right? And not hiding behind, you know, she could have easily just said that it was back pain, which, you know, it was. She was really clear on why she had back pain. And absolutely. And I think it's just showing, you know, times are, are, are changing. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, you also talked about the different ways that you can get into golf. And one of those ways is speed golf. Can you give me a quick wrap? <laughs> yep. Um, I am pretty passionate about speed golf, obviously all things golf. Um, and I do love a quick game. So yes, uh, speed golf, um, getting around the golf course as fast as you can um, and as little shots. So it can be, yep, you can go as fast as you can and be really speedy like someone like Jamie Reed, who's just won the World Speed Golf Champs in Florida. Um, or you could just be going out with a couple of clubs, um, you know, with a friend walking as fast as you can. So by only having a couple of clubs and removing, you know, all those sort of pre-shot routines and some of those formalities and just having a hit, I don't know, it's really refreshing. The Breakers are on court twice in the next couple of days. Friday they play the Cairns Taipans in Cairns, then it's back on the plane for a home game on Saturday against the Brisbane Bullets. Stuff's basketball expert Mark Hinton thinks things are looking good for the Breakers. 
They're winning. They're winning. Eight and three. Eight wins, three losses. They've won five of their last six and eight of their last ten in total. Unlike, shall I mention, a little football team from Wellington who are one win, three draws, two losses, and sit eighth <laughs> on their league. So breakers are doing very well, Zoe, doing very, very well. Despite the schedule the NBL is throwing over them, a horrific travel schedule, and they're still winning, which shows a lot about the character and the ability of the group that Modi Mayor has got together. What is going on with the travel? Because aren't they arriving back at like three o'clock in the morning, the morning of the day of the game? Yes, um, that happened last week. They had, they had to play a Friday game in Tasmania, uh, had uh, horrendous delays and flight changes going in and coming out. Qantas ca- actually cancelled both of their flights in and out of Launceston on them and they had to rebook. And when you put seven foot guys in the uh, middle of economy, it's not a good look whatsoever, not to mention uh, uh, handy for the players at all. But yes, they arrived. so they arrived back playing Sunday against Adelaide. Three o'clock in the morning they got into New Zealand and had to play at 4pm that afternoon. Look, bordering on player welfare issues really here. Um, but remarkably, they managed to win that game against a very good Adelaide team, 89-83 out at Trust Arena. So even though they're being dealt what you might call a harsh hand, they're actually managing still to win games, which is quite incredible. But it doesn't take away from the fact that they really shouldn't be asked to play these uh, games on the back of multiple flight venues they have to return from. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. We're all about welfare issues here on the podium. But yeah. um, but that aside for one moment, they're still winning. Are they in the box seat right now for playoffs next year? Yeah, they are. Look, from here, they should get there. They're, they're eight and three. That's 11 games into a 28-game season. So, so still a bit of water to flow under the old proverbial a bridge, but um, they're in a great position. They're second in the league, just behind the Sydney Kings, defending champs, very good team, who are eight and two. So the Breakers are brilliantly placed, really, to um, top six make the playoffs. Top two will get a, a, a automatic sort of progress and home advantage for semis. And then there's like a four-team sort of play-in for the other two semi-spots. So they're really well-placed. Look, they've got a great squad, Zoe. Look, if any of your listeners are in Auckland, get along to watch these guys. They play very, very hard. They play great D, and they play together as a team, and they find ways to win games even when things are stacked against them. So they're a good watch. And you, listen, you won't see a sports team in New Zealand playing harder, which are, as a fan is all you can ask for, really. Back to the FIFA Football World Cup. How are the fans in New Zealand responding to the most watched sporting event in the world? Dale Warburton, one of the founding members of the unofficial Phoenix supporters group Yellow Fever, told producer John O'Williams that supporters here aren't getting as fired up as usual. It feels like it's a little bit of a funny one, actually. I, think, I feel like maybe the enthusiasm a little bit dampened from previous years. I don't know. I don't know what's that to do with. Maybe it's New Zealand missing out. Maybe it's a little bit of... I guess the time of year it's it's, it's been on, and normally it's sort of at the end of, of most most seasons, so there's a little bit of a lead-in time. Whereas this one, it's feeling quite rushed, rushed, and, and maybe there's a little bit of the kind of you know, the political human rights aspect to it that's sort of uh, dampening some some enthusiasm for the tournament. All right, I'm going to ask you to to make a prediction here. Who do you think is going to walk away with the trophy? Uh, I think anyone who gives you a, a confident prediction are uh, killing themselves because I feel like it's quite an open open tour, tour, tournament this year. Uh, I, I feel like the, the lack of sort of lead in time has, has really kind of shunted people's preparations. And, and so um, uh, some of those better teams, you know, if they're not starting 
you know, on the front foot straight away that they could lose themselves. But I mean, I think it's, it's probably going to come down to a, uh, one of those ones who have won previously, you know, the sort of, you know, the Spains, the Germanys, potentially France, Argentina, Brazil, probably come with one of those. Um, obviously, France defending champions, but the last three defending champions have all gone out of the group stage previously. So um, even without some of their star players, they obviously managed to, to get across um, Australia and, uh, and looked pretty good in, in, in doing so. Yeah, so it's going to be one of those heavy hitters, really, that kind of makes it all the way, isn't it? I think so. Even maybe there's always a team that, that kind of surprises and maybe not wins it, but sort of gets, you know, quarterfinals or semifinals um, unexpectedly. So um, I really don't know who that might, might be. But, yeah, seem, people seem to be talking up Uruguay's chances of, of going quite far in the group and, and maybe making a semifinal. I think they've done reasonably well in the last couple of years, but they seem to have another sort of one of those kind of golden generations that's coming towards the end of their sort of peak and, and maybe that's their last shot at, at sort of going quite deep in this competition. Obviously New Zealand's not there. Is this the one time that it's okay for Kiwi sports fans to support Australia? Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell people how to support uh, or who to support, but for me, uh, absolutely not. Just to see the Australians get a little bit of glimpse of hope just, you know, we went 1-0 up and then I sort of had it quite hopeful and then 30 minutes in and then it all just fell apart, which was just, it was just, uh, you know, chef kiss kind of stuff for me. So that was that was perfect. And, um, yeah, I guess losing by three, get some pretty slim chances of getting out of the group just for, for goal difference sake. So, no, I, I mean, I, I hope they get better in all three games and go home. Hey, producer Jono. Hello, Zoe. How are you feeling? Uh, good. So you may hear that I'm a little bit stuffed up, but it's because um, I'm still recovering from the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> mm, sure, Jan. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also went to the Phoenix Women last week and uh, got stuck in into the Yellow Fever chants and uh, into the crowd, and it was so wonderful to be there to make history. They're playing again this weekend. Um, but talking about football, another controversy that's blown up in the past week is over the decision to pull the sales of beer from the stadium. The move's angered sponsors Budweiser, uh, and their tweet that got deleted earlier this week was mildly entertaining when they said, well, that's awkward. Um <laughs> Are fans trying to get around this ban? Well, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. It seems like fans are just engaging in a bit of good old-fashioned preloading and <laughs> going to the various venues where they can get beer and taking full advantage. There's reports that a group of Wales fans drank their hotel completely out of beer. Um, that's despite it being about 20 New Zealand dollars a point. Uh, oh, Hold on. That's despite it being about 20 New Zealand dollars a pint, and they just completely cleared the entire hotel out of booze. There's been plenty of images showing up on social media of people covering uh, beer cans with Pepsi and Coke kind of can cooling, you know, those little sleeve things you can put them in. This is fake news. A lot of those photos are actually old and from the British summer, so people are not trying to sneak cans of booze into the venues. Because if they do... There's some pretty stiff penalties. You can get six months in prison or the equivalent of a $1,400 New Zealand fine just for smuggling booze into one of the venues in Qatar. What? Wow. I mean, we're all about responsible drinking here uh, on the we podium. Are, we but... are very sensible <laughs> and we, we never do anything inappropriate and naughty at all. <laughs> never. I mean, I don't know if you remember Pulp Sport back in the day, the TV show, but they used to have a segment where they would try and smuggle Tui. Uh, into various sports venues without people noticing. And there was some quite creative uh, smuggling attire. 
Yeah, yeah. I think New Zealanders of all people are very good at this whole let's try and get something into the stadium that we probably shouldn't have. Um, back in the day, up north, me and me and some friends occasionally may have taken watermelons to random games. And spoiler alert, the watermelons did not only contain watermelon, but we had a great time <laughs> at several of those games. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's always a way, I think. There is always a way. A friend of mine has got a couple of contraptions. One is a, a silver bracelet that you can fill with liquid, and the other one is a bra. I don't even want to know how she gets it out of the bra. It's like a camelback thing, you know. You've got like a little, uh, a little yeah. sippy thing that you, yeah. Yeah. It, anyway, I feel like we've gone way off topic. We've here. gone way off topic. Um, back to Budweiser. What are they going to do with all of that beer that they've shipped over to Qatar? Well, they tweeted a photo of the massive pallets of beer they'd made specifically for the World Cup, expecting the spike in demand. They are going to send it to the winning country. So whichever country hits home with the trophy is also going to get a massive delivery of Budweiser at the same time. So party time wherever that's going to be. Oh, that will be lots of fun. Um, And uh, you may have heard earlier, but it's not the only thing that's being banned at the stadiums. No, no, people wearing rainbows. We're talking Welsh officials who are wearing rainbow hats. They've been taken off them. A journalist has been detained for wearing a rainbow shirt. Rainbows are so pretty. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah, they're so pretty. Oh, well, uh, we'll keep an eye on this. And and as we talked to Phil earlier as well about Germany and the rainbow boots, and um, there's going to be a lot more discussion about this in the coming weeks. Exactly. And that's it for The Podium. I'm Zoe George, and on behalf of our guests this week, producer John O'Williams and Philip Tolley, and audio editor Connor Scott, thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us. Email thepodium at stuff.co.nz. Are you watching the FIFA Football World Cup? We'd love to know. We'll see you next Thursday. Until then, na mihi, go well. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, I think that... It would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, that, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's, Nothing that's in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.